0: On the night of Wednesday, September 2nd, 1752, people across Britain and its empire went to bed as they always did. But as the sun rose, they awoke not to Thursday, September 3rd, but to Thursday, September 14th. Their work and their worship went on as before, and the earth turned just as it always did. But those 11 days of September had been stricken from the calendar. The stricken days weren't chosen at random, The architects behind the 1752 calendar reform wanted to minimize disruption. So they were careful to select a rare stretch of 11 days without a major holy day in the Anglican liturgical calendar. Still, people resisted the change. In the coming years, people would celebrate Old Lammas Day and slaughter their geese on Old Michaelmas Day on the same dates their ancestors had, 11 days earlier than the date of the holiday on the new calendar. The reform was supposed to make the calendar more accurately attuned to the Earth's natural orbit. But to the English Christians whose sacred holidays had been disrupted, this more accurate calendar actually got the dates wrong. Welcome to Illuminations, a limited series from Ministry of Ideas about the complex and captivating relationship of religion and science. In this episode, we investigate what it means to celebrate a sacred day on the right day. For centuries, calendar reforms have been driven by the need to find the correct dates for holy days, especially the Christian feast of Easter. We'll explore the centuries-long effort to determine the correct date for Easter and see how shifting theories and the science of time changed the practice of religion. We'll also ask why worldly measures of time matter so much for celebrating the sacred in ways that rational reforms have sometimes missed. Calendars aren't neutral frameworks for ticking off the passage of time. As Philip
1: Nothaft of Oxford University explains, they have always been shaped by political factors. If you look at the way calendars have evolved since antiquity, there is a sort of correlation between the way empires change, rise and fall, and then subsume each other and the way calendars develop. Things change once the Roman Empire becomes Christian and once uh, the calendar itself, you know, becomes, becomes a liturgical calendar as well as a civil calendar. Christianity emerged in the context of the Roman
0: Empire. And so it adopted the Roman system of the Julian calendar, the calendar established by Julius Caesar. But within the Julian calendar, the Christian church had to locate all of its own new feasts and holy days. The most
1: important holy day to determine was Easter. Easter, which is very much the the linchpin of the ecclesiastical calendar because all of the other mobile feast days uh, are dated in relation to Easter. The rest of the church year hinged on Easter, the
0: holy day that celebrates the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If Easter moved forward by a week, a whole slew of holy days would move forward as well. And Easter was also connected to past and future events in Christian salvation history.
1: There are a few indications that early Christian communities expected the second coming of Christ to be somehow tied with the annual commemoration of the Last Supper. And of course, uh, there was a sense uh, that the time of Easter is the anniversary of the creation of the world. It's of course also the an- anniversary, roughly speaking, of the, uh, of the exodus from Egypt and other um, important events in the history of salvation. Uh, So that's one sense in which this is a symbolically very rich time of the year. But the problem
0: was how to get the date right. Locating the correct date for Easter is a challenge that begins in the scriptures themselves. The Gospels tell the story of how Jesus Christ entered Jerusalem, celebrated the Jewish Passover Seder with his disciples, was crucified the next day, died, and rose from the dead. The Bible is clear about the order of these events but it's not clear exactly when these events happen. Here is Simon Brown, this episode's producer.
2: There are a bunch of different statements in the in the Bible itself that give suggestions about when in the year this event happened. And we know two things. One is that it happened around the time of the Jewish celebration of Passover. It's supposed to have happened during the same course of events. And also, according to some scriptures, it happened on the first day of the week. And so these are the two metrics around which people from the first century CE began to think about when this event actually happened.
0: So the two ways for determining the date of Easter are one, following the Jewish Passover, and two, always assigning Easter to a Sunday. But the two methods don't necessarily align. Passover is always celebrated on the 15th day of the month of Nisan in the Jewish calendar. But the Jewish calendar is a lunar calendar. It is determined by cycles of the moon. The 15th day of Nisan is always a full moon, but the full moon doesn't always occur on the same day of the week. So celebrating Easter a specific number of days after the start of Passover would put it on different days, not always on a Sunday. Different churches followed different methods, and so commemorated their most holy day on different dates. For a while, this was fine. But by the 4th century CE, Christianity had become the imperial religion of the Roman Mediterranean, and its emperor, Constantine, presided over both the empire and the church. Constantine didn't like these calendrical discrepancies. The variation was an affront to his authority, and to God's. If there was one god, one church,
1: and one emperor, there should be one date for Easter. This is something that becomes strongly emphasized in the early 4th century, uh, most notably at the Council of Nicaea, uh, where this imperative that uniformity has to be observed in many different uh, areas of Christian worship, but especially when it comes to the celebration of Easter. The easiest solution was to date Easter with reference to Passover, to mark its historical
0: connection with that festival. Passover is a spring festival, usually beginning on the first full moon after the March equinox, when the sun crosses the celestial equator and spring is said to begin. But that solution posed its own problem.
2: To the early Christians in the early centuries of the religion, that meant that they had to follow the Jewish lunar calendar that determined the dates of Passover. And for a a religion that was intent on asserting its independence from Judaism, that did not seem like a good option, at least to the Emperor Constantine, which meant that they had to do something different. And what they did differently was to promulgate a law that said that the celebration of Easter would happen after the closest full moon in late March, specifically March 21st. That got it close to the celebration of Passover, but not quite there.
0: Constantine had found a compromise. Easter would take place on a Sunday, specifically the Sunday following the first full moon after March 21st, a date chosen to approximate the equinox. This method placed it right around the same time as Passover, and they both dated Easter by the cycles of the moon. But the Christian feast remained independent of the Jewish calendar. Christian churches followed this moon-based method for dating Easter for centuries. But by the 16th century, something had clearly gone wrong. With each year, the Easter celebration got warmer, more flowers bloomed, the sun set later. Easter was dated in relation to March 21st, and March 21st was supposed to approximate the spring equinox, but it no longer did. The problem this time wasn't the method they used to date Easter it was the calendar itself. In 45 BCE, the Roman ruler Julius Caesar had developed a calendar based on a 365-day solar year. Unlike the Jewish lunar calendar, which follows the moon, a solar calendar is determined by the sun. A solar year is the length of time it takes for the Earth to make one complete revolution around the sun. This calendar was called the Julian calendar, And that's the calendar that those 16th century Christians who erased those 11 days in September were using. In theory, a solar calendar should make sense. It takes a year for the earth to go around the sun. So every March 21st, the earth should be at the same place in its orbit. But it turned out that the Julian calendar had scientific errors of precision. It calculated the solar year as lasting 365.25 days you can't have a quarter day, so every four years, it included an extra day, a leap day, to account for that slight irregularity in the duration of the Earth's orbit. But even so, the calendar was off by around 11 minutes per year. That isn't a lot for any one year, but over time, it starts to really add up. The Julian calendar gains a day about once every 128 years. After 12 centuries, the date for Easter was about 10 days later than where it should have been. And the Pope, Gregory XIII, wasn't having it.
2: Gregory, in the late 1500s, decided that this problem needed to be corrected. And he summoned astronomers and other scientists to determine how to correct the calendar so that it actually would follow the natural cycles of the Earth and you wouldn't have this drift.
0: The Pope was trying to solve a religious question. How do you locate a sacred miracle in time? But to succeed in that effort, he needed the help of scientific research. The Christian world found itself looking to some of the most advanced science in order to create this new, more accurate calendar. In that way, this moment of reform was actually a culmination of a movement that had begun in the medieval period. In Western Europe from the 7th century on, Astronomy and mathematics had become more integrated into calendar calculations. New astronomical knowledge was sought from Greek, Arabic, and Jewish sources, and the project of dating
1: of holy days became a driver of scientific education. Easter reckoning becomes the central topic of a whole learned discipline, which which develops in the early Middle Ages, starting maybe in the 7th century in Ireland, and it very quickly becomes a crucial uh, part of scientific education in early medieval Europe, you end up with calendrical cycles representing the next best thing to having a way of computing celestial motions, right? And, and approaching astronomy from a mathematical and what we would call a scientific uh, vantage point. And uh, this kind of way of thinking about, say, you know, calendrical cycles, uh, prepares Latin Christian scholars for the uh, introduction of mathematical astronomy from Greek and Arabic sources, which we see in the 12th century. And I, I think uh, this knowledge transfer, which is such a, a crucial hallmark of the 12th century, is a really s- sort of sows the seeds for uh, an attitude towards uh, this calendrical problem where the scientific, as it were, uh, component could no longer
0: be ignored. The problem of devising an accurate calendar drove advances in mathematics and astronomy for the Western Christian world. And this new emphasis on mathematical and scientific precision drove the next wave of calendar reform as the
1: Christian world tried to match the scientific progress of other cultures. What I find interesting is that from the 12th century onwards, when the fact that the calendar is no longer in strict alignment with the astronomical phenomena, uh, and in fact, is very often related to Latin Christianity's perceived backwardness uh, in relation to Jews are usually brought up in this regard, but of course also Arabic Muslims uh, and, and sort of the non-Latin Christian world in general. If you read, sort of to learn literature of the 12th and 13th centuries, to, to talk about an inferiority complex is perhaps a bit hyperbolic, but it's a common talking point that Latin Christianity uh, had been suffering for centuries from some kind of backwardness or penury in intellectual terms. And that the uh, translation from, from Arabic and in, in, in Greek, the importation of knowledge through translation, is absolutely essential to catch up and to close that gap.
0: One of the perceived markers of Christianity's inferior science was, in fact, the Jewish calendar, a highly advanced method of timekeeping rooted in Babylonian
1: astronomy. And the Jewish, rabbinic Jewish calendar by the early 12th century is also on the radar screens of Latin Christian scholars. And they realized this is a very sophisticated device. And uh, again, this concern wow, the Jews are completely outgunning us uh, on a calendrical plane. And that's an idea that's made explicit in 12th and 13th century texts and possibly played into the calendar reform debate as it then. Uh, uh, evolved, and there is a feeling that uh, it is a matter of honor, right, to, to have a, a scientifically accurate calendar, and and this is this pops up in so many sources that I think it, it is probably a, a genuine concern, and again might help us explain why right, the Gregorian calendar, right, why um, right, so much brain power was invested in 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 uh, bringing it to fruition, to create his calendar in the 1580s. Pope Gregory
0: drew on the work of two men in particular, who reflected the church's accelerating interest in science and mathematics. A chief architect of the calendar was a groundbreaking Jesuit astronomer and mathematician named Christopher Clavius. Clavius was the main person responsible for advancing a rigorous mathematical curriculum within Jesuit education. He was one of the first mathematicians to use the decimal point in certain astronomical calculations and his writings became one of the most influential astronomy textbooks of the age. To create the new calendar, Clavius consulted the work of Aliosus Lilius, an Italian doctor and astronomer. The mathematics behind his work are complex, but basically, Lilius had devised a calendar with two clear, notable adjustments. One problem with the Julian calendar was that it was 11 minutes longer than the real solar year, creating that drift of one day per 128 years. Lilius proposed a year that was fractionally shorter and suggested moving three leap years every four centuries. The resulting calendar was accurate within 26 seconds. Lilius also harmonized the phases of the moon with the solar calendar year. Clavius wrote major expositions and defenses of the calendar based on Lilius's work, and this new calendar was introduced in 1582. This new, Gregorian calendar was adopted by much of Christian Europe. England, however, was a holdout. This Protestant country had been fiercely opposed to the authority of the Roman Catholic Pope since the Reformation in the 1500s. The Pope, according to many English Protestants, was literally the Antichrist. How could he be trusted to change the calendar they'd been using for centuries in the name of accuracy? So while continental European countries updated to the Gregorian calendar, the English stuck with the Julian. You could call it calend-exit. Still, as the centuries passed and countries and markets became even more connected, England began to suffer the effects of their calendrical misalignment. By following the old calendar, they were about 11 days off from much of Europe. And there were a lot of compelling arguments for adopting the Gregorian system that had nothing to do with Easter.
2: There were other reasons for embracing the calendar. It made commerce a little more easy. You didn't have to translate between two different dates if you were sending your goods overseas to trade in the Netherlands or in France. It made diplomatic communications easier for the same reason. And for all of these compelling reasons, many politicians, merchants, people in England started to say, we need to get on board with the Gregorian calendar. And it was not, they insisted, because they now recognized the authority of the Pope, but because there were reasons of science, of commerce, and convenience for getting on board.
0: England finally adopted the Gregorian calendar in 1752. And this is where those 11 days in September go missing. To make this transition, Parliament skipped straight from September 3rd to September 14th. But even though they chose an 11-day stretch without major holidays or feasts, the move still threw agrarian cycles into confusion. Farmers customarily used religious holidays, like the autumn-time holiday of Michaelmas, as guides to mark when they should begin to plant, thresh, or harvest. These agrarian events couldn't be just moved around in accordance with a government reform. Here's Robert Poole, a historian of science at the University of Central Lancashire. So, for example, if you've just taken eleven days out of September, Michaelmas is going to come along eleven days in the natural year sooner. It's going to be a little bit warmer at Michaelmas than it used to be. The apples haven't had quite as long to ripen. If there was going to, you've had a fairer Michaelmas day. It might be bad news. It might you know, might need another t- couple of weeks and so on for your apples and so on. And there was the the, the business of slaughtering Michaelmas geese as well. If you're going to have your church festival of, of Michaelmas. Needs another couple of weeks to fatten the Michaelmas geese. That's quite a long, long, quite a few pounds in the life of a stuffed goose. And so on. The new calendar may have tracked more closely the rotation of the earth, and it may have brought England in line with its continental counterparts. But to farming communities who used holy days to mark the rotation of their crops, no new calendar would seem more accurate than the one they were already using. Poets and satirists tried to ease people's concerns about the change. In the 1753 edition of his Poor Richard's Almanac, Benjamin Franklin wryly comforts his reader. Be not astonished, nor look with scorn, dear reader, at such a deduction of days, nor regret us for the loss of so much time, but take this for your consolation, that your expenses will appear lighter and your mind be more at ease. And what an indulgence is here for those who love their pillow to lie down in peace on the 2nd of this month and not perhaps awake till the morning of the 14th. What was a joke to Franklin about the fear of losing 11 days appeared sincere to later commentators. A myth grew that the principal opposition to the reform came from an ignorant, superstitious mob incensed by the belief that they were losing 11 days out of the length of their life. That myth of the ignorant rabble solidified in the 19th century and took its place alongside other tales of popular superstition obstructing science like the story of Christopher Columbus disabusing his doubters of the belief that the world was flat, the common people's commitment to the feast days as they knew them, to their own ideas about what it meant to get a sacred day right, would later be read as mere scientific ignorance. England's calendar reform had been driven by a desire to standardize communication and ease commerce between nations. In the late 19th and 20th centuries, The same motives drove new international efforts to reform the calendar once again. As the world became more globalized and financially connected than ever, businessmen wanted the order and rationality of modern commercial systems reflected in their timekeeping. In the early 1900s, business leaders, chambers of commerce, and utopian reformers pushed for yet another new calendar. George Eastman, the founder of Kodak, led the charge.
1: George Eastman and many others uh, were heavily invested in the idea of making the, 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 the League of Nations into a platform for implementing a rational world calendar, which was supposed to be more ergonomical and more uh, more congenial when it comes to you know economic cycles. Uh, where a calendar is more you know uniform and 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 predictable, and where you don't have the problem that the days of the week. Uh, uh, constantly change the alignment in relation to the the dates in the calendar, right? There are many aspects of our calendar, of our civil calendar, which are, as it were, irrational. The months don't have uniform lengths. And, uh, you know, very smart people are able to come up with uh, seemingly much more rational solutions to that. This reformed
0: calendar would add a 13th month and make all months the same length. Each date in the calendar would correspond to the same day of the week every year. If you're born on a Tuesday, your birthday is always on a Tuesday. And notably, one of the reformers' goals was establishing a fixed annual date for Easter. For them, accuracy was about predictability. They convinced European parliaments to debate laws that would set a standard date for Easter. The British politician who passed that country's daylight savings law endorsed the calendar reform. But in order to get legitimacy, the reformers knew they needed the blessing of the Vatican. The last time a new date for Easter was promulgated, after all, it was done by the Pope. But the Pope wouldn't agree to the reform. He flatly denied the right of any other international group to set a date for Easter or propose a new calendar. The Catholic Church believed that it possessed the only legitimate authority to set the date for Easter. And it guarded that authority jealously. The Catholic Church's objection wasn't surprising. But many minority religious groups opposed the calendar reform as well.
2: Many of the people concerned were religious minorities in a lot of these countries. So you have rabbis in Britain, for instance, who are opposed to any suggestion that the calendar would change and that an extra day of the year was added, which was one of the plans because this would throw off the cycle of the Sabbath, of the celebration and recognition of the the Jewish Sabbath, which has to follow a natural cycle week after week. Likewise, this was opposed by Seventh-day Adventists, who celebrate, Christians who celebrate the Sabbath on Saturday, who thought that this was another way of getting them to conform to the standard Sunday Sabbath within Christianity. You had evangelical Protestants insist that any church be able to celebrate the Sabbath according to the old rules, and that was even before there was a new calendar imposed. And so you have a lot of these groups insisting that the way things had always been done, at least in their lifetime, was natural. It was God-given. And to impose it, a new calendar, would be to rock them off the rhythms that had been imposed by the divine.
0: The Religious Liberty Association, an advocacy group, insisted preemptively that all denominations had the right to follow the old calendar before there even was a new one. For religious minorities accustomed to discrimination, the imposition of a new calendar would not look like fine-tuning for accuracy, but rather one more threat to their communities. For them, the right calendar wasn't about standardization or predictability. It was about continuity, with their own pasts, texts, and traditions. Christians around the world still don't agree on a correct date for Easter. The Orthodox Church celebrates Easter on a different day than the Roman Catholic Church, though church leaders are still trying to change that. In 2016, the Archbishop of Canterbury, the Pope in Rome, and the Coptic Pope all stated their intention to set one global, fixed date for Easter that all Christians could share. In a statement in support of this effort, the Syriac patriarch affirmed that celebrating Easter on different dates, quote, weakens the common witness of the church in the world.
2: The idea being that if you have different witnesses to the same most miraculous day in Christianity, it detracts from the authority of the celebration. And so they insist that as a principle of Christian unity, but also to show one authoritative recognition of that date, They need one day for Easter. And so they're still talking about the possibility of coordinating all their calendars to one day.
0: At times in this history of the calendar, it seemed like reformers were simply prioritizing scientific accuracy and commercial efficiency over divine significance. But for the communities who celebrated these holy rituals, they already were recognizing an important concept of accuracy celebrating holy days on the right days. The way a religious community conceives of an accurate calendar tells us about how they conceive of humanity's connection to the divine and of divine intervention in the human world. For Christians, for example, celebrating Easter on a Sunday and celebrating every Sunday as a holy day indicates how they see Jesus' resurrection as both a historical event in time and as an ongoing, never-ending act of salvation.
2: The dating of Easter commemorates a miraculous moment. It happens in time, but it also happens, as theologian said, happens every week. It's commemorated all the time. And so there's an instability to it. It's it's you can't really quite pin it down, which means that with each succeeding generation, with each new moment in this centuries long history, different ideas of what it means to accurately date an event have been reflected through this effort to date Easter. And so you have a sense in which it's, the dating of Easter always attracts an effort to pin down with accuracy this miraculous occurrence, and it reflects what it means to be accurate at different moments. And I think to to answer the question, why is it that people want an accurate date for Easter? I think it is often an effort to show the world that the witness to this miraculous event is unified asserts the importance of the event itself, and it's supposed to represent the confidence with which Christians the world over know that this event happened, and they know with confidence that it happened, and they know when it happened. And I think in that sense, the accuracy of the date is a projection of the confidence in the miraculous occurrence.
0: Christians invoke Easter with each Sunday worship service. This recurrent notion of Easter reflects God's perpetual, timeless gift of himself. But celebrating the actual Easter holiday on the right Sunday each year reflects for Christians the reality of Jesus' unique, historical, real-time life and death.
2: We do have grounding for our beliefs. We celebrate the same day year after year. We're not just making this up. I think that is a lot of the motivation for why Christians do believe that it is important to get the right date for an event that happened both in time, but also out of time.
0: The spiritual importance of getting these dates right is reflected in the Reformers' scientific efforts. It was mathematics and astronomy, not just biblical texts, that allowed these religious groups to arrive at what they deemed an accurate date for their most important feast days. The calendar connected religious communities to the divine, but it connected them through science. This episode was produced by Simon Brown and Maria Devlin-McNair. Illuminations is a limited series from Ministry of Ideas. We are supported by Harvard Divinity School and the John Templeton Foundation. Illuminations is produced by me, Zachary Davis, Leah Rechtman, Maria Devlin-McNair, and Nick Anderson. Script editing is by Galen Beebe. Sound design and music is by Steve LaRosa. And artwork is by Dan Petchi. If you enjoy this podcast, you can support us by sharing the show with your friends, subscribing, and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. For more information or to get in touch, visit our website at ministryofideas.org. Ministry of Ideas is a proud member of Hub & Spoke, a collective of carefully crafted, idea-driven podcasts. You can check out all of our shows at hubspokeaudio.org. Today, I'd like to invite you to listen to the Hub & Spoke show Soonish, hosted by journalist Wade Rausch Soonish examines how technology is changing society with sharp analysis and humane values. Learn more and listen at SoonishPodcast.org. Hub
1: and Spoke. Audio Collective.